we family here, so I'm going to uh, be completely honest. I am not going to uh, withhold this from you uh, this morning. Uh, this is going to be a tough one today. Um, so I want you to buckle up, strap in, hold your neighbor's hand, and we're going to get through this together. Amen. Well, I promise we're going to make it through this together because today we will be talking a lot about death. Today we will be talking a lot about death. Now, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes uh, for the past couple weeks, and Ecclesiastes has been unicorns and rainbows in comparison to today. Uh, Solomon is taking us deep into the grave, but if you hang in there, it's going to get better at the end. All right? Amen? Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone, and another one gone. Come on, y'all know that song. Another one bites the what? Another one bites the dust. Hey, I'm going to get you to another one bites the dust. Slow it down. Another one bites the dust. Another one bites the dust. And another one gone, and another one gone. Another one bites the dust. I'm going to get you to another one bites the dust. Bethel, this song by Queen sounds all too familiar, right? If we listen closely, it begins to resonate with all of us. Another one bites the dust. No matter where you look in our world, we hear about someone dying. In the city of Chicago alone, there has been over 102 homicides. Friends, death is all around us. Another one gone, then another one gone. There have been times in our life, if not yet, just wait, where it seems like we are losing loved ones left and right. The song then says this, and this is the part that that really impacted me the most. It said that I'm going to get you too. And this really messes us all up, right? Because deep down inside, we know that death is going to get us too. We know, church, that it is coming. We know that one day our time is coming, and yet we try to avoid the conversation of death. We try to avoid it at all costs. Some of us are upset right now. See, I was happy before I came to church, and now we're talking about death this morning. If you're a visitor, you're slapping the person next to you saying, why did you bring me here? I was doing all right. I was feeling good about my life, and now we're here to talk about death. Yet, church, we cannot run from the inevitable reality that we will die someday. We must reckon with this reality and prepare ourselves for it. Death can have you feeling like the rapper Ludacris. He says, I got an empty hole in my chest. How do I fill it? Somebody give a prescription, right? Death leaves this empty, dark feeling in our chest. And therefore, we look for someone to fulfill it. 
And many people, including us in this room, have made and trusted in man-made saviors to rescue us. Some of us have tried Michael Jackson, and he was a bad boy, but, but he died. I mean, Billie Jean was bad, but he still died. We tried David Ruffin, but he died. We tried President Kennedy, but, but he died. And we tried MLK, but, but he died. And young people are trying Chief Keith and Young Money and Famous Dex, but they will all someday die. There is no man-made savior that can rescue us from this thing called death. There is only one who has died and came back with all power in his hand, and his name is Jesus Christ. And there will be more to say about that later. A writer in our text today, Solomon, can relate to our hamster-like wheel chasing for something or someone to deliver us from the hands of death. To deliver us from the hands of death. If anyone understands the cruelty of death, it is our boy Solomon this morning. In our text today, he wrestles hard with the question, If we all die in the end, what's the point? If we all die in the end, what's the point? Right, church? What's the point? We are all trying to make sense of the puzzle pieces of life. We are trying to figure it out. We are trying to put it together. But this one piece, death, seems to not allow us to figure out the puzzle. And this morning, we will stare death In the face. There will be no running this morning, church. We're going to stare deaf right in the face. And my hope is, this is my hope. I want you to listen to me. I want you to look right at me on this one. My hope is that death would drive us to Christ. My hope is that death will drive us to Christ. If you have your Bibles, find Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to be camping out in verses 12 through 23. We're going to pitch our tents there. Uh, We're going to dig deep into this text and uh, see what it has for us this morning. When you're there, please say amen. Amen. Say it again. Amen. Amen. All right, let's go. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to them all. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool would happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For the wise as the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Repeat that after me. No enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise die just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. 
I hate it in my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity, a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Now, Bethel Church, if we're going to have any appreciation for our boy Solomon this morning, if we're going to be able to get on board with his argument that everything in life is meaningless, everything that is created really doesn't have any real intrinsic value in it within itself, we must understand our writer this morning. We must understand who Solomon is. And what he has done to to respect his argument on everything is meaningless. So he says this. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. So a little bit about our boy Solomon here. He is extremely powerful. He is extremely wise and he is extremely rich. Solomon has taken power and he has taken wisdom and he has taken uh, wealth and he has set out on this quest, if you will, to experience and indulge in as much of life as possible. So Solomon got possesses all of these things and he uses it to experiment on life with the goal of finding out whether these things hold up to sustain the human heart. He's on an all out quest and its purpose is to find ultimate fulfillment can you relate to that church can you relate to being on a quest to find ultimate fulfillment are we not like that in this room do we not hop to one thing after the other trying to see if it will satisfy us only to find out that it does not all of us can relate to solomon and we go to the one one thing after the other Now, Matt Chandler says this about Solomon. He says in he has set his life goal to experiment with everything under the sun to see if any of it has any real value. And so if it's out there and can be tasted, our boy Solomon wants to taste it. If it has a kind of aroma, our boy Solomon wants to smell it. If it can be touched. Well, my people, he wants to touch it. If it has sound, then he wants to hear it. He wants to test everything that is, and then he wants to come back and tell us if it has real intrinsic value. Now, let's understand some of the things that Solomon actually tested out. There's a lot of us are like, okay, if he tested out, Dex, tell me what it was. 
One of the things that he tested out is he tested out partying. And I know there's a lot of clubbers in the room. You know what it is to party. And you know there are certain elements that you must have if it's going to be a dope party, period. Because if they don't have it, most of us leave, right? This party is lame. But no one has done partying like our boy Solomon. I mean, I wanted to go there. You ever had somebody tell you a story and you're like, can I go? Why y'all ain't invite me? I want to go. You know, it's not like I had a ball, like I had fun. Y'all just going to leave me out of it like that? So here it is. All right, so Solomon, this dude has the biggest parties. He would pack the palace out night in and night out. Think of the best sock hop. I'm going to let sock hop resonate for a minute because some of y'all been to a sock hop just recently. I was kind of fly. I was kind of fly. Yeah, for sure. All right, but think, think about the best house party you ever been to. Think about the best kickback you ever been to. And it is like going to the library in comparison to him. Your party is like a library in comparison to our boy Solomon this morning. This dude party was lit. He had 15,000 people in the palace seven days a week. I mean, they were partying and they were bringing in tons of liquor, live music. Solomon likely did all this partying in his 20s because that's usually what 20 year old somethings do, right? They party their whole 20s and then you hit like 30 like, oh, it's not even all that. His partying, all of his partying, all of his clubbing, and Solomon comes to the end of those parties and say it is worthless. He said it's worthless. He says you're wasting your time. If you're going to the clubs, if you're going partying to find ultimate happiness, I did it all. I threw the biggest parties, and I'm telling you, my parties were epic, but at the end of the day, they are pointless. Anybody in the room relate to that? Anybody been in the parties, you've been in the clubbing to come and to find out over time that they could not sustain you through life. We finally discover what our boy Solomon discovered. So in his 20s, he's he's partying. Now he's reached his 30s. And usually when you reach your 30s, you begin to wake up a little bit. So he begins to build. He begins to build his life. He begins to build homes and houses and all of these other things. He said, okay, I tried the party in life. Let me get my grown man on. I'm going to start building some things. This dude built a house that took 14 years to build. Dude could take like all of our houses and fit them inside of his garage. I mean, this house was massive. It was like stupid big for like no reason, like a house that you know you're not going to go into every room. In your entire lifetime, like he had like a house like that big. And I mean, it was massive. But not only did he have a massive crib, he also built houses for his wives. Now, hold on. Dude has 700 wives. So he built like 700. Man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of real estate, you feel me? Like, what's up, bro? 700 houses? For all of his wives, and for the record, sex isn't the answer to a happy marriage. It isn't. Sex is the fruit of a good marriage. And a lot of times, man, I just want to talk to my man for a minute, because sometimes we feel that our marriage will be better if our wife would give us more sex. But the reality is, is that happiness is not contingent on that. The brother's like, you lost me, dog. I was with you with the 700 wives, but then you lost me, dog. I was with you, brother. 700 wives. All right. So we got partying. We got houses. 
We got wives, and I mean, this dude had money unthinkable. He had gardens. He had vineyards. He had so much money, he makes Bill Gates laughable. He makes Donald Trump laughable. This man was loaded. He had it all. He had cars. He had Cadillacs. He really had chariots and horses. He could have woke up in a Bugatti if he wanted to. I mean, it was serious. This dude had everything. And how is your life in comparison to Solomon? Do you have the houses like Solomon or the parties? And, and you might say, if I did, my life will be a whole lot better. Wrong, Solomon says to us. Been there, done it, and got a t-shirt. It is all pointless. It is all pointless. Church, can we vibe with this? We get the new car right, and after a couple months, the thrill is gone. We get the new watch. It is cool and it's nice. Some of y'all, y'all get a new watch. Y'all like, oh, check me out, check me out, check me out. We get all of these new things, and they begin to lose their meaning right away. I remember when I was in high school, when I got a new outfit, I had to keep sharpening my pencil all of a sudden and going to the bathroom because I was trying to stunt on folks. Because that's what we do, right? We get new stuff, and we try to stunt. But all of a sudden, like, that new thing is gone, so we got to get the next thing, right? Because that's what we do. We, we keep hopping to these things because we want to be on top. And Solomon is saying that it is all pointless. Solomon has tried it all. And by this, qualifies himself to talk about the human plight, the pursuit of happiness in this life, but always ending in death. Let's keep going. The first point I want to make is wise living produces great gain. Everybody say that with me. Wise living produces Produces great gain. We see this in chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. He lays this out for us. He says, then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. So Solomon articulates for us here that living an aimless life is stupid. When we fail to plan and research and consider the direction we are going in life, it leads us into great danger and we are unproductive. As the old saying goes, if you do not plan, you plan to fail. Or if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. It is imperative then that we have direction, vision, and purpose in our life. We see this all the time, church. We see men and women not planning out their lives. We live in a blind society. No eyes in their heads. They run on the fuel of luck and treating serious matters with contempt. They have no direction in marriage. Men and women hopping into marriage hoping he or she is a suitable spouse instead of knowing that this man is a suitable husband. It is folly to enter into a covenant relationship with someone you know very little about. We lack the understanding of the value of this God-glorifying picture. Marriage paints the picture that the lamb who freely died for the joy of his bride. Christ laid down his life for us. Broken marriages lead to broken children, and broken children leads to a broken youth. We lost our vision somewhere. 
And the crazy part is this. When does becoming the side chick become okay? When does that become cool? Like when was women, when, when did our women start to be okay with being the second lady? When did that become, when did it become okay for a man to live on a woman? When did that become okay? But it has become okay because we are blind and we walk around aimlessly. Our young men go around blind with no clear vision of what manhood truly is. They have bought into the deception that a real man is dependent upon the number of women, cars, clothes, and shoes that they have. This is the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. That a man thinks that he's a man because of what he has and not because of who he is. This is a sad reality. And this is why we have so much chaos in our society. Where we have young men devaluing life, willing to shoot and kill over something very small. A pack of Skittles over a life. This is blindness. This is folly. This is crazy. But this is the society that we are living in. And Solomon is saying that it is better to have eyes in your head than to not. Solomon says here, light is better than darkness. It's really simple. What he's saying, church, is would you rather drive a car at night that has headlights or the one that has broken headlights? It's really simple, right? But our generation this day say, give me the car with the broken headlights. Because I don't need nobody to tell me what to do. I got this. I'm like, no, dog, give me the car with the headlights, right? Why? It is easier to see where you are going. You can avoid danger. You can avoid going off the road and ending up in a ditch, right? If I got light, I can see where I'm going. If I don't have headlights, bro, it's going to be crazy. And my house is like in the boondocks by the cornfields. Like, if you ain't got no lights, like, you're going to be messed up for real. But do you remember when you were driving through life with no headlights? How, you, how much trouble you found yourself in? If not for the grace of God, we will all be somewhere on the side of the road, somewhere in the ditch. Apart from the grace of God, we will all be on the side of the road, somewhere in the ditch. You remember your ditch of fornication, your ditch of homosexuality, your ditch of anger, your ditch of self-pity. And no one in here can afford to coast in life. We were on the side of the road and this great God and King and Savior came and got us. Not because we deserve it, but because he was loving enough to get down in the ditch and to get me out. Because I was the fool who chose the car with no headlights because I thought I had it all figured out. Because I thought I had it all together. But a great God and King of all lights came and got me out. And I am so thankful that his life, his light is everlasting. It is a good thing that Nipsco cannot put this light out. God, Jesus Christ is an everlasting light of lights. God of gods. We were in our ditch church and he came and he got us. What you do. The decisions that you make, they matter, church. Young people, the decisions that we make, they actually matter. They actually matter. If you pay attention, you might be able to dodge some pains in life. 
This is what Solomon is saying. If you have eyes in your head, you may be able to dodge some of this stuff in life. A lot of older people say to me, if I had the brain I had when I was 16, I would be all right. It's just better to have, it's just better to have eyes in your head. It's real simple. I mean, I just want to know where I'm going. Because if I don't, I'm just in all kind of trouble. I'm a mess. All right? Do we feel our boy Solomon here? Real simple, right? All right? We want lights. All right, but check this out. Next point is death is inevitable for both the wise and the foolish. He makes this, he makes this great point that it is better to have light over darkness. Cool, I'm rocking with you. It's better to be wise than to be a fool. I got you, Solomon. I'm with you. But indeed, he brings us right back around to this thing called death. But because he says, I don't care if you're wise or you're a fool, you're all going to die. So what's the point? Help me out here, brother. All right. All right. So our boy Solomon is starting to make sense. And then, nevertheless, he is confronted with what Matt Chandler calls the life obstacle. It brings us back, right? You know the whole another one bites the dust concept. We're back there again. Another one and another one. His wisdom keeps driving him to this reality. He can't shake the fact that no matter what, I will die. Death is life's obstacle for all of us. No matter how wise we are, we will die. No matter how wealthy, no matter how many degrees, no matter how many books we read or exercise, the ending chapter of everyone in this room is death. And we know it. And we dread because of it. We try to avoid death conversation at all costs. And yet he says in verses 14 through 15, and yet I have perceived that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity. This is also vanity. Death is the great equalizer. Beneath, beneath everything else is this thing called death, which is the great equalizer because everything we gain is eventually lost. Straight, starting with our reputation. Even to, even to the memory of, of who we are, it is all lost over time. So the first thing that is lost is our reputation and the memory of us. Watch this in verse 16. Solomon helps us with this. He says, for of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Let's repeat that. Enduring remembrance. Let's try that again. Enduring remembrance. Seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten how the wise die just like the fool. Now watch where he's going with this. In other words, no one will be thinking about you in 60 years. In 60 years, no one in this room will likely be remembered. For some of us, two years. Because folks don't like us. Some of y'all 60, some of y'all going to be two. I'll let you guys decide who that is. Solomon has achieved so much in his lifetime. But he knows in the coming days, no one will care. None of us go to sleep thinking about how great King Solomon was. How many people dreamed about King Solomon last night? Yeah, I didn't think so. All right. And he was pretty, he was pretty, I mean, 700 wise, big crib, all of that. Pretty successful king. But nobody was thinking about Solomon last night. If he was forgotten, you know your cute little self will be forgotten. 
Some of y'all are like, please, I'm eye candy. Not the case. I don't care how tight your sew-in is this morning. I don't care how straight your dentures are, how handsome and built you think you are. Someday you will perish. And some of us think all of heaven should stop and stand at attention because we brought our cute self to church this morning. We think that we will be forever remembered. But the truth is we will not and this world will keep spinning at the same speed it was before your cute self was conceived one day God is going to prove to you that this universe can run without you no no matter how high you ascend you're going to descend six feet under it does not matter no one is going to know who you are in the days ahead let's do a little test here this morning how many people do you think have lived on the face of the earth Scientists estimate that since the time of recorded history, around 100 billion people have lived on the earth. How many is that? Suppose you decide to recite the name of every person who has ever lived. And you said one name a second nonstop. How long would it take you to say every name? It would take you over 3,000 years to name every person who has ever lived. In the immense sea of humanity, that has lived before us is staggering. And how many of these hundred billion people are remembered today? A small 1%. That's some reality for us, church. Let us test Solomon again. How many people in the room, by show of hands, know the name of your great, 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 great grandfather? You know the name of your great, great, great grandfather? Raise your hand. See? So 60 years, no one's going to know you. No one's going to know who you are. We don't even know who our great, great grandfather is. And our achievements, our dreams, our goals, our ambitions, our titles are all swept away and forgotten by death. Give it enough time and you will be a lame and and we'll all be a bunch of nobodies in this room. Drop your eyes down to verse 18 through 21. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise or a fool, yet he will be the master of all for which I toil and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labor under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So Solomon has told us that our reputation and the remembrance of us will be forgotten. And now he's saying everything that he's worked for will be given to someone. And he does not know if this someone will be wise with his possessions or a fool with it. Death is the great equalizer because all that we have worked for is taken and given to someone else. Solomon has reached the height that few of us in this room can compare to. He has managed all of his possessions well and prospered like a tree planted by the waters. King over a great kingdom, great house, great friends, love. He was rich, things that most of us in this room will die for. And he has done well for himself. He is what we call successful. 
And yet he is frustrated and mad because he has no control over who will manage all he has worked for after he dies. But see, we know something. If we have any biblical knowledge, we know that his two idiot sons get everything that he has possessed. And it takes them little to no time to lose everything that this king has worked for for 80 years. He's toiled, he struggled, he grind, and now it goes to his two idiot sons that blows it off. If that's not depressing, I don't know what is. You mean to tell me I didn't bust him, I didn't work my fingers down to the bone. And now, this dude right here, who has no eyes in his head, is going to get my stuff? Man, that's messed up. Like, I'm struggling with that. It reminds me of a story in my own life that I experienced. I remember working at the bank and witnessing this all the time. People working so hard and it going to their foolish children. And one incident in particular was a young man who inherited $100,000 from his father. His father worked hard for that money. He grinded hard for that $100,000. He was... He was coming up in the bank, new shoes, new clothes, had one of them uh, gas station shirts. So I'm like, you got $100,000, he's going to go get a gas station shirt. All right, cool. All right, cool. I know what's about to happen to this brother right here. Okay, cool. All right. And then he has $100,000, and he goes and buy a car that has 200,000 miles on it. And in a matter of months, he spent All that his father had worked for. It took him little to no time to disgrace, to get rid of what his father had labored for. This is a sad reality. And Solomon looks at this. He stares this in the face. And he says, pointless. Death takes our reputation. Death takes all that we gain. And he says that it is pointless. Death is inevitable loss causes us great agony. He begins to articulate his feeling in verse 22. He said, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? Verse 23, he says, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. He says his work is a vexation, meaning the state of being annoyed, frustrated, or worried. So Solomon is saying all a man work brings to him is this frustration, this worry, and this annoyance. All that we work for brings us nothing but sorrow because our work can never produce what we eternally need, God. No matter what we have, our hearts never say enough. There is never a moment where your heart says, that's enough. I'm good. I'm okay. I don't need anything else. There has been nothing in this created universe to satisfy this eternal hole in our hearts. Listen to what Solomon says. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. When we lie our heads down to rest, church, there it is. The voice inside that says, It has to be more. I'm created for more than this. Why am I here? 
that gnawing away at us when we lay down, no matter what we have accomplished, there's something when we lay our heads down at nighttime that continues to just bother us that, man, I have to, I got to have more than this. God has created me for more than this. And we run from death because it scares us. Why? Because we know in the end, we lose everything that we love and we have. But a side note here, if we treasure Christ, we gain everything. But we're going to get back to that. Death causes you to treasure the small things, right? I want to come, I want to come real at home. I want to get in the front room here real fast. Because I think that we all can relate. Let's not play any games here. Death causes us to treasure small things, right? Had my parents over my house this Sunday. They're, well, they were over there. Um, I've seen them come in. Well, I had, I had my parents over my house this weekend. And the reason why I did that and I enjoyed them, and young people, I want to encourage you to honor your parents while you have them. Um, honor them while you have them, amen. Amen, honor your parents while you have them. But why did I do this? Because I know the day is coming when I will not be able to go over my mother and father's house and they're there. The day is coming where I'm not going to be able to be there. My kids, fathers, hold your kids, kiss them. Because why? Because the day is coming where I will not be able to hold my son one day. The day is coming when I will not be able to hold my daughter one day. Death has a way of waking us up to reality and treasuring the things that we overlook so much. I play gym uh, basketball with the epic guys. I'm 27. These dudes be running circles around me. I'm like, I could do that like five years ago. (laughs) I mean, it's that fast. Death takes toll on us that fast. And here's the crazy thing. Somehow we live under the enslaving thought that my life is all about me. My job, my husband, my wife, my children are all here to make me happy. And therefore, we place this unrealistic expectation on finite beings to satisfy a God-sized hole. So what we do is, is we say, hey, life is all about me, so everybody around me is here to make me happy. And if you are not making me happy, then you need to be out of my circle. See, we get it all mixed up because we believe that they should be our savior, but it is an unrealistic reality for finite beings to fill the hole of an eternal God. It is impossible, and it will leave you enslaved. The moment they fall, The moment they fail us, we say, I need a new wife. I need new children. I need a new house. I need a new job. We make the issue outside of us instead of looking here where the real issue is, it's all around us, right? It's easy to blame everyone else, but it is hard to look inside myself. We think that we'll be happy if we had another job. You know that feeling. He's like, man, if I can get out this job, man, I'll be a whole better person. Then you get the interview, you get the job, you're there for about, what, a couple weeks, and you're still not happy. You're still not happy. I thought that I'll divorce this wife, get the next one, you got her, and you're still not happy. Well, 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 okay, well, maybe I need another car. If I get another car, then I'll be happy. You get the car, then you're still not happy. It's this hamster-chasing thing that never gets us where we need to be. 
But here's the freeing reality. This world was not created to make you happy, but to glorify God. This world was not created to make you happy, but to glorify. The most freeing thing that can ever happen to you is when you wake up and find out that you're not all that and that life is not all about you and that it is actually about God because God is governing everything according to his glory, according to his knowledge. And once you figure that out, you'll be a whole lot happier. There is no happiness apart from God. Listen to Romans eleven thirty six. The Bible makes it really clear, really plain for us. Gives it to us straight. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Let's say that together because I think we need to believe that. Let's say that together. For from him and through him. Uh-uh. Let's start over. Y'all messed up. Let's bring it back. Let's rewind. Here we go. Y'all ready? Y'all repeat after me. For from him and through him. And to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. Now give God a hand clap of praise because he is worthy of just that, church. I want to wrap back around to our ludicrous dilemma, our rapper ludicrous dilemma. He says, as I said in the beginning, I got an empty hole in my chest. How do I fill it? Somebody give a prescription. Christ can restore what death steals away. If I had Ludacris in front of me, I would look him right in the eyes and I would say that Christ can restore what death steals away. Well, brothers and sisters, the prescription has already been written. God the Father wrote it in eternity Past. Are you with me this morning? Abraham was not the prescription. Moses was not the prescription. He was a great man of God, but he was not the prescription. Joshua was not the prescription. David, he was a great king. He was a man after God's own heart, but David was not God's prescription. Job was a man that was faithful even when everything was taken from him. But Job was not the prescription. Isaiah was a great prophet and he told us about the coming Messiah. But Isaiah was not the prescription. Neither was Peter, neither was James, and neither was John. And Paul was a great guy, but Paul was not the prescription. Death had defeated all those mighty men of God. Death had laid all those mighty men of God in the grave. Death had won all the time. It had no losses, and it had all wins, and it looked like all hope was swallowed up, and it looked like the prescription was never coming. But anybody know that there's a God that is faithful and that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly? Death thought that it had the final say-so. Death thought that it was standing on its own and two legs. Death thought that it was all that in a bag of chips. Death thought that he had the victory and he was taunting God's people like Goliath did David. But little did death know that there was a God coming into the world. Little did death know that he was coming to bring back the victory and no one has stepped into the arena with death and then at the right time God sent the prescription if you will, the remedy the solution into the arena with death and he didn't look 
like much because Isaiah said that he had no form of majesty, that we should look at him and no beauty, that we should desire him. There was nothing beautiful about this Jesus that was coming into the world to take on death. He wasn't cute, he wasn't pretty, but he was mighty and he was powerful and he was going to be able to do what God needed him to do. He was God's prescription. Mm, He was God's prescription. He was God's answer to humanity's dilemma. Jesus fully knowing that he was God answered and stepped up into the arena of this world. He entered the ring with Satan in death and sin. And as he did, he took a beating that we deserve. He took our sins that we did. He took all that we done and he put it upon himself. And he carried a great weight on his shoulder. And sin delivered a blow and And death delivered a blow and Satan delivered a blow and and they put our king down, down in the grave. But church, they thought he was condemned. They, They thought that they had destroyed him. They thought that they had won the victory but but see they didn't know who he was see see satan didn't know who he was death did not know who this jesus was they didn't know that he was the passover lamb they didn't know that he was our high priest they didn't know that he was our kinsman redeemer they didn't know that he was our prophet priest in king. They didn't know that he was the a ruler greater than Solomon. They didn't know that he was the king who reigns eternally. They didn't know that he was the priest proclaiming freedom. They didn't know that he was the protector of his people, the mediator between God and man. Our song in the morning and in the night. You got to understand, church, that they didn't know who he was. He was down, but they didn't know who he was. They didn't know that Jesus Christ was our wisdom. They didn't know that he was our meaning of life, the suffering servant, the weeping Messiah, the faithful husband, even when we run away, the warrior who saves us. They didn't know that he was the son of righteousness who brings healing, the Messiah who is the king, the Messiah who is God in the flesh, the spirit who dwells in his people, the righteousness of God, the power of love. He is our every life, the unity of the church, the joy of our life, the comfort in the last days. Our returning king, and just when you thought I was done, he is the savior of the worst sinner, the leaders of leaders. He's the fountain of truth. He's the mediator, our hope in the, in the times of suffering. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the coming again and one who makes all things right. They thought that Jesus was down. They thought that they had KO my Jesus. But they didn't know that this God that reigns eternally would have all power in his hands. Death can't take Jesus Christ away from us. The Bible says there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Lazarus had passed away and Mary came rushing to Jesus Christ. And she said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus lifted her head and looked her dead in the eye. And he says that I'm the resurrection. Anyone who believes in me, though he die, yet should he live again. Church, we got to hold tight to these truths. That God is able to do exceedingly abundant. That there is no death that could hold him. There is no power in hell. There is nothing outside of his jurisdiction. 
Everything must submit to this great God and King. Death may taunt us. Death may tell us that it's going to take everything from us. But I wish I had a few people that know how to echo the words of Paul. To live is Christ and to die is gain. No music real fast because I really, I want everybody looking at me this morning because I want you to understand this. Because the day is coming when we got to reckon with death. The day is coming. Because we can shout, we can clap, but the day is coming. Well, we got to reckon with it. I remember being in the nursing home. I worked there for three years. And the man, he was on his last breath. He was laying in the bed, and I went in there, and I just sat. I just looked at him. I really meditated about my own life as I watched him. He was a man that read his word often. He was a man that believed in Jesus Christ. Now, you can play church all you want. But it's going to come down to a matter of faith one day. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that he has risen from the dead? Do you really believe that he's died for your sins? Do you really believe that he has freed you? Because the day is coming where house and cars and women and clothes can't not go with you. And all I got is the promises of God. That's all that I have. Bethel Gary, are we going to be a church that believes this? And if we do, let us proclaim it. Let us proclaim it to our children. Let us proclaim it to the gangbangers. Let us proclaim it to the widow. Let us proclaim it to our brothers and our sisters. Let us proclaim this gospel that is able to save men and give us a hope beyond any kind of hope. I'll leave you with this last story. I'll leave you with this last story. Back in the 1800s, there was a man. He was a very wealthy lawyer. And he had a very successful business. And one day, life happened to him. The Chicago fire had burned everything that he had. Everything that he owned was gone. And so he decided to send his wife and his children on a vacation just so that they can get away from the tragedy of what had recently happened to them. And he puts them on a ship over to their vacation destination. And on their way there, there was a Scottish-Irish ship that had ran dead smack into that ship holding 313 passengers. It took that ship 12 minutes to sink to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. The mother his wife had rushed their four children to the top of the deck and she knelt down to God and she prayed to him. And she said, Lord, if you can spare us, be so. But whatever it is, let your will be done. His four daughters died that day in the Atlantic Ocean with his, life, with his wife, the only one surviving. She finally made it to her destination. She got there. She sent him a message and said, all is lost except for me. And when he got that message, he framed it and he broke down. But he wrote one of the greatest songs that has ever been written, it is well with my soul. No matter what you take from us, if we are believers and children of God, at the end of the day, it is well with my soul. Neither life nor death nor hell can take us away. And I dare not close this service without asking, pleading with the unbeliever this morning. If you have yet to believe in Jesus Christ and you do not know where you're going after this life, Now is the time 
to believe that Jesus Christ is able to save you.